2 Timothy 2. Good to see you, brothers. Verse 20. For our opening reading, our New Year reading. Great fellowship we have, gentlemen. Godliness starts in the morning in the New Year, and godliness is done together. Uh, there's no godliness in isolation, at least not that kind of godliness. There's no godliness in Lone Ranger Christianity. Um, and uh, bless you, and may the Lord bless us in a new year. Second Timothy 2.20. Um, in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he'll be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Notice the, so notice the godliness exhortation, verse 22, and then with whom? With those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Find like-minded brothers, do it together. Verse 23, but refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do as well. Notes coming around here. Let's pray. Father, first things first in the morning, even before our feet hit the floor, we do well to ascribe and and just declare your glory, ascribe to you strength and sovereignty. Before any thoughts, lesser thoughts, the greatest thought we could have is that Christ is risen, God's on his throne. You are the King of Kings, Lord Jesus. All, all other kings are laughably impotent and incompetent compared to you. Uh, so we commend ourselves and all the things you would have for us today to you, to your grace. We need your grace every second for every breath, every thought. At the outset of a new year with uh, things on these brothers, on their minds, on their hearts, demanding schedules. Um, so many things to handle, things that they need to address in the short term and the long term. Father, I just pray for extra grace for us in this new year, extra, extra grace as brothers, that we would be these kind of men that you've exhorted us to in Second Timothy 2, men who are useful to the master, to the Lord Jesus, uh, who with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, that we would give ourselves to Christ, to the cause of righteousness and truth in submission to your word. Father, as we are continuing to look at our study of uh, biblical masculinity, I pray you would strengthen us and let only things be said here that are honoring to you, helpful for their upbuilding and conforming to the truth. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, gentlemen, we are in our continuing our study in biblical masculinity. Um, We're not going through this because necessarily we're all ignorant on what God would have us do as men, but just to encourage us, um, there are a couple seats in the spitting zone here, and if you, if you dare between uh, Mr. Colson Sr. and Mr. Zachary there, um, 
we're looking at God's plan for men and masculinity. So just a reminder, overview, we're, we're going to do probably a couple more weeks on masculinity and marriage, and then we'll do uh, masculinity and work. Uh, there's been a request to do masculinity and the mind, masculinity and the mind, like uh, logical fallacies and addressing the uh, sea of sewage of fallacious thinking that has become normal and thinking and even in quote-unquote academia and politics today, um, how to avoid those uh, swampy sewers. Um, and so we'll do that, Lord willing, and we'll do masculinity in the church, masculinity in worship, um, stuff like that. If you have any requests, feel free to let me know. But in the meantime, uh, we've, we started in Genesis 3, God, uh, Genesis 1 and 2, excuse me, God made males and females, newsflash, and each have equal worth before him, having been made in his image, glorifying him in their various God-given roles. Um, they're different. Um, uh, I'm reading a book. I'm reading uh, Rand Paul's book on uh, the case against socialism right now, and it's interesting. He spends a couple chapters on uh, Mao's regime, and he talks about how though Mao didn't propagate transgenderism, that really wasn't a thing then, uh, the, he did propagate the iconic gray suit, right? And those of you who studied that, everybody, you know, the, 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 the symbol of righteousness was the gray suit, no distinction. Male or female, you were to wear the gray suit. And that kind of ide identified you, a tyrannical but supposedly righteous but unrighteous regime. And that's something categorically, though not in form of what we see today, that you, know, you can be transgender, you can be whatever. But God is glorified in the two genders he has made, and he's created roles for each to glorify him in the flourishing of the human race, the good of one another. The good of children, the good of the old, the young, everything in between. Um, family uh, is greatly under attack in many ways, in two ways, more than two, but at least two. Abortion was Satan's first ploy. Uh, just destroy kids. You don't need kids. They're an inconvenience. They're a nuisance. Get them back. Um, when Psalm 127 says that children are a gift from the Lord, then of course, thankfully, that sin is forgivable by the blood of Christ. But that eliminates the blessing responsibility. And as we looked at last time, the personal transformation that happens typically um, when you have the responsibility of children. Um, it's, a, it's a guardrail of righteousness for the human race and a blessing. And of course, the other way in which Satan is seeking to destroy family is what? Homosexuality. You can't have family from the same two genders. You can kind of pretend to and... and Thing, but uh, children can't be born to the same gender. Feminism as well in various ways. Uh, I was reading a quote from Robin Morgan. She's kind of the patron saint of feminism. She said, quote, the nuclear family must be destroyed. So to equip ourselves against these satanic tides, we're, we're looking at uh, masculinity. We won't say everything there is to say about the topic as we're looking uh, briefly at marriage. This is just, uh, just some reminders of what we already know, some things to remind ourselves. Um, as we uh, kind of sneak into this here, Proverbs 12.4, we're reminded, says, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. We're going to look uh, more next week at how, uh, 
how Satan is even confusing the church right now of what heterosexual femininity is to be even within evangelicalism. We'll get into that next week, Lord willing. Uh, but it, Solomon, you know, in Hebrew poetry, an excellent wife is the kind of a husband, but the contrast, she who shames him is like rottenness in his bones. And shaming men and shaming husbands is going to become a, like a virtue uh, in culture, even in Christian culture. Um, with various movements happening right now, which we'll address later in counseling and different things. In the heart of every man and husband is the desire uh, for a woman and a wife that cheerfully respects him, submits to him, cooperates with him, um, is a helper suitable. Uh, even, even in a vile, unregenerate man, that, that's in the heart of every man. It's hardwired into it. Um, few things are more joyful for, for a man, just by way of introduction here, to come home to a wife, which is to say uh, a wife who is humble, who is kind, who embraces her role of exalted dignity and submission, uh, coming alongside and uh, which is the glory. God is the Christ. Christ is the head of every man, First Corinthians 11. And the woman. Her husband's got headship. Similarly, a few things are more sorrowful for a man than to come home to a woman who, who is who is combative, who is unsubmissive, uh, independent of him, uncooperative, um, disrespectful, self-centered, and abandoning their God-given uh, exalted role. So we'll discuss that. We'll discuss uh, how we can Briefly, let me just remind us about Ben, and then we'll talk about the role of a husband before we before we talk about wives. Look at la- we looked at last time Satan's attack on marriage. Um, you can get the notes from that from last time. Number two, we looked at marriage as God's creation. Uh, he made it. Uh, it's funny how ubiquitously hardwired it is in every culture. Every culture is at marriage. I mean, the most isolated, just right after, hot, hot off the press after Tower of Babel. I mean, there is marriage everywhere. The most indigenous tribes to the most, quote unquote, you know, more modern or whatever. It's everywhere because God made it. Marriage is something to be pursued. We saw number three. From last time, not avoided. Um, there's a, we looked at the statistics of the correlation with the moral decay of society and the hesitancy to marry. There's, that's no coincidence. Uh, and then number four, we kind of left off here, I think. Uh, general marriage guidelines from Scripture and logical inference. Do we have notes from last week? No? Nah? All right. Uh, and and why should you listen to these if you're not married? Well, number one, because this is what God's word says. Number two, because you you may come alongside and counsel and shepherd and pray for guys who are married, and this will uh, help you. Thank you, Ian. Appreciate that. I should have mentioned that before. Um, and maybe some of us will be married. So scripture, uh, as we're thinking about this, number four, what page is that on, Sam? You got that there? Eight. Okay. If you have notes. If not, you just listen. 
Now, as we think about, just as a reminder, gentlemen, uh, getting into marriage, Scripture actually doesn't mandate a particular uh, path to marriage, whether it's courtship, dating, arranged marriage. There's no, like, do it exactly this way. Who needs notes here? Uh, yeah, from the 14th, I think. Richard and John here, maybe. Um, scripture does mandate a particular path, though, for the man and the woman. What what should you do to prepare yourself for marriage? Just very briefly, obviously, little Roman number one there under B, personal godliness. This is These are basic. Philippians 2.12, working out our salvation with fear and trembling. The best way to serve your spouse is to get godly. Um, that's kind of backwards from a lot of uh, theories you see in marriage today. Um, that we exemplify biblical leadership characteristics as men, dependent on the Lord, but not overly needy. Why? Because we're going to have to lead a wife, walks of the Lord without having, without having to be externally prodded. You fear God. We talked about that. Self-control over passions, able to work, keep a job because you got to provide. Um, the fear of God keeps the man accountable to God's big priorities, holiness, work, church, membership, serving. Stay steady in affliction. Healthy, transparent relationships with other brothers, physically takes care of himself. All these things that are essential uh, to lead and to be example, to be an example to our spouses or future spouses or someone you're discipling who's going to get married. Standards for a future wife. Again, we'll just briefly hit this and then we're going to talk more about it next week as we look at how the curse has affected men and women uniquely. Uh, Genesis 4, 7 and different things there. Um, obviously, if uh, looking for a spouse, a wife, she needs to profess Christ with a credible testimony. Second Corinthians 6.14, do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Uh, and then from 1 Corinthians 7, though this, this is addressing women specifically, obviously it applies to men. A wife is bound as long as her husband lives, but if her husband is dead, She's free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord, which obviously if only a woman, you know, if a woman can only marry a believer, then so can a, man, a guy believer marry a believer. Uh, and brothers, this is um, super important that we respect and honor the Lord in this. Um, how many individuals have we spoken to, counseling appointments where, uh, this, the individual might say, you know, I, I thought he or she looked like they're making progress towards the Lord. So we got married and uh, lo and behold, it didn't happen. So this a potential spouse needs to, as we think about this, needs to fear God and follow Christ, whether or not you're in the picture. And it's actually better, um, as I often talk to people and counsel this, you get like get out of the picture so that they can at least back up out of the picture a little bit so that they can follow the Lord without you being perhaps a superficial motivator. Make sense? Uh, not that, not that we don't want to evangelize them and all that, but missionary, missionary marriages, it's not really the way to go. Um, biblical standards as we're looking, uh, as we disciple men and looking for a wife, you don't need a female Jesus. Um, or a absolutely perfect Proverbs 31 wife. Sanctification is something we change, but neither settling for someone who professes faith but has no credible fruit. Um, be careful. 
Uh, also, it's it's tricky these days because even within evangelicalism, the modern woman is becoming more trendy. The modern woman is becoming more trendy. And she's pictured in part in Proverbs 7. And she's dangerous. There are lots of verses about the modern woman. Uh, stay away from her. Um, she needs to embrace classical biblical womanhood, which is laid out in Titus 2, um, and dignified femininity. And so we, we want to be careful. Uh, Proverbs 7, you can read that. That's obvious. Proverbs 27, 15, a constant dripping on a day of steady rain and a contentious woman are alike. He who would restrain her restrains the wind and grasps oil with his right hand. 21, 9, better to live in a corner of a roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. Uh, so watch out for that. Um, uh, you know, there's there's a balance, there's room for sanctification, but also there are warnings about certain streets to not walk down. Uh, godly character, speaking of, she embraces God's plan for women mandated in Titus 2, 4, and 5, uh, affirmed by godly Christians in her life, and then back to the guys, some ability to provide financially. First uh, Timothy 5.8, a man who doesn't provide for his home is worse than an unbeliever. Accountability and involvement with the local church. As we say often in our pre- in Cornerstone Premarital Counseling, the local church is the greenhouse for your marriage. The degree to which you immerse yourself in it is the degree to, it, to which you'll grow and flourish. The degree to which you don't is the, the degree to which you'll hinder yourself unnecessarily. Um are one of our verses there that we've memorized, not forsaking or assembling together is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Uh, sexual purity. Uh, a man should be training himself to honor God sexually. Doing so will prepare him to honor his wife in marriage and resist sinning against his spouse sexually. There is a correlation there. Uh, that when we cultivate a, a, a selfish and a self-centered view of, of sex before marriage, that I assure you that always comes into the marriage and, and it backfires. And obviously sanctification could happen and it's real, but that, that will cause problems. Masculine okay. duties of the husband. So before we go pointing our finger at the ladies and the trend of uh, modern womanhood and these sort of destructive things, and feminism, we, we need to focus on ourselves and God's command for ourselves as men, as spouses, current and potential spouses. I don't think any of us uh, who are married, myself included, going on 21 years here, here I just feel like I'm, I'm just learning so many things in 21 short years. Um, and I know, uh, Mr. Stowe, how long have you been married, brother? 65. 65 years. Really? Glory to God. What a trophy of grace. Praise God. That is wonderful. Um, so we're always learning, as uh, Mr. Stone testified, and God is faithful, uh, an evidence of, of uh, his faithfulness in um, Kennedy Lane's life. And so we, we want to honor God and, and, and bless our wife and be instruments of change. Um, God's roles for masculine, uh, a masculine husband, they're threefold, one way to put it. You're a, love, a lover, a leader, and a learner. Um, these are your roles. What is a husband? A lover, a leader, and a learner. Those That defines, it's an easy way to think about, define our roles as men. What are we doing in the home? What am I to do? 
And this sacred school, as Martin Luther called it, the school of character, from which we don't graduate until we're with God and glorified. Um, and so I, I don't teach these to you, brother, brothers, as one who has arrived, not in the least sense. You can ask my wife, and she'll heartily agree with that. Uh, but we, we seek to um, embrace these and, uh, and live these out. And let me say on balance, too, that it's a great blessing for a wife to have a man who will live this out. Um, it, it, you know, this is no, this isn't to pat ourselves on the back at all because we're we have so much to grow in. But any woman who has a husband who who is biblically embracing these roles to lead, love, and learn is uh, is greatly blessed by God in a Genesis three world. Um, and so she needs to give glory to God for that and embrace her role as well. Um, so let's briefly unpack unpack these first. Uh, a masculine husband must love his wife. Obviously, he's, he, he, excuse me, Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives. What am I supposed to do as a husband? Love your wife as Christ has loved the church and gave himself up for her. Uh, so what is love? Well, it's patterned. It's, it's instructed to us right there that the love for our wife is to be patterned after, lo and behold, how Christ has loved the church. The way that Christ loves as he liked informs what am I to be doing day in and day out when I get home from work, when I'm with my wife. Um, and, and all of this, brothers, we lean heavily on the grace of God and depend greatly on his word and the Holy Spirit and, and, and prayer daily to, to have the strength for this. So just a couple things to observe about Christ's love, which then translates into what we're to do uh, as husbands. Love takes uh, initiative. I, I just wrote down a few things you guys could add to it. Love that takes initiative. Christ loved his church. He loved us before, loved you before you existed. Uh, he sets the pace. He doesn't wait for her to do this or that. He takes up his role because this is God's calling to love her. First John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. And so there we go. We, it doesn't say we love because, well, we're waiting on her to get her act together. No, we love. Love that is taking initiative. Second, love that is sacrificial. Uh, Ephesians 5.25, he loved the church and gave himself. So love that is giving to her. Tangible ways that is self-denying for her. Death to self for her. Sacrificial for her. Christ's love involved his wrath-bearing death. He took, it, took up his cross on behalf of his bride. Um, love also that is mindful of one's own sin against God. Christ, of course, didn't have sin, but he bore the wrath due us so that we could be saved. Keeping in mind that this is why a, a doctrine, the doctrine of homardiology and anthropology is so important for masculinity. Understanding in depth the doctrine of sin and the doctrine of man so that we understand rightly who we are, what we've been redeemed from, what we are being continual action redeemed from and the progress of sanctification so that we can rightly uh, come into the marriage, not strutting our stuff as if we have it together and she doesn't, but have a humility that uh, our sinfulness and, and understanding ourselves like Paul does, the chief of sinners, gives us that right humility and a forbearance with her as well as she is sinful. A Christ love number four, it's an unceasing love. 
Christ's love. And this is why uh, Calvinism is critical to be a good husband. Um, because we understand the perseverance of the saints, that Christ's love is an enduring love. It's not he loves me, he loves me not. The wretched love of Arminianism. But it's permanent. It depends on him. It depends on the covenant he's made in eternity past in God's election. Uh, that Christ, we can never be separated from the love of Christ, which is in, uh, which is from God. And so, therefore, that informs our love. That love, uh, end of 1 Corinthians 13, 7, love bears all things, believes all things, endures all things, hopes all things. Um, love that is unceasing. Love that is tender, number five. Christ's love for his church is gentle and gracious. So must a husband's love be. He says in Matthew eleven twenty nine, take my yoke upon you, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. Uh, hanging out with your wife is different than hanging out with the dudes. You know, she she's a fragile vessel, as First Peter three seven. You know, she'll cry, and you'll be, and you just won't understand why. Why are you crying? <laughs> now that's why do you do that? <laughs> you know, you, it's just you know you got to be tender that. That the, 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 the shepherd in the ancient East times was very tough, but very tender as well. Tough to endure, you know, what he had to go through every day with sheep, but also tender to compassionately come alongside the sheep as they struggled in various ways. Uh, six, loving love that is as loving one's own person. In other words, that metaphor where Christ says that the church is his own body, his bride and his body. So he, so a husband, it says in verse 28 there, husbands also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. So love that thinks about, well, this is like, she's like a part of me. So I'm, I'm not going to neglect, you know, part of me. You know, if your knee needs surgery, you go get surgery. You don't just let it decay. You take care of it. You take care of part of your body. That's how it is for a husband and a wife. We provide for her. Obviously, provide financially, um, take care of her, tender with her. And by the way, though, it's the duty of every husband um, to do so. That doesn't take away from the fact that providing for your wife is, is a great gesture of love. As you men work hard and you grind out blood, sweat, and tears at your job to provide for your wife, this is, this is godly and loving of you. And it's a great blessing. Uh, for a husband to do so, especially a husband whose wife has, you know, if you have little kids at home and uh, she needs to stay stay at home with those little kids to give herself to her primary duty, um, that's a great a great act of love for a husband to do so. Uh, seventh, love that resists bitterness, Colossians three nineteen. Um, bitterness isn't hard to happen to a guy; it's easy uh, to a gal too. It's just it it just happens. You know how. You, all you have to do for bitterness to accumulate is nothing. Just don't ask forgiveness. Don't keep short accounts. Don't think about your own sinfulness. Uh, don't resolve conflict biblically. And bitterness is just a, it's like a thorn, thorn bushes. It'll just come. Um, so husbands, love your wives, Colossians 3.19, and do not be embittered against them. Again, having a right view of how we deserve hell, thankfulness to God, uh, meditating on gratitude, things we need to be grateful for will help us with that. Eighth, love that promotes her sanctification if she's regenerate. Uh, love in a marriage looks like helping your wife progress in godliness. 
Uh, Ephesians 5.26 there, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So if she's, if she's unregenerate, of course, we will patiently, lovingly bear with her to share Christ, to be a good example, to pray for her, to uh, introduce her to some of our Christian friends, to gently but strategically uh, have fellowship with Christian couples so that she can see the, the light that's in God's people. So as we, as we love our wives in, in, in this aspect of love, promoting their sanctification. This means a husband needs to engage in the means of grace and help his wife do so. The means of grace, local church involvement, public worship, private worship, the word, prayer, serving, encouraging her to become an enthusiastic member of a church. Again, that's the greenhouse for our marriage. It's the greenhouse. It's the way God's designed it. Or if she's not regenerate yet, to, to attend church. Uh, as much as we can to lead in that, to heartily and regularly immerse in the ministries of the local church. Obviously, this presume, presupposes a New Testament kind of a church, which is a greenhouse. A not church is not a greenhouse. Um, reading scripture, gently encouraging her, setting the example, daily Bible reading, uh, reading the Bible in a year. Uh, J.C. Ryle said it takes the whole Bible to become a whole Christian. I like that. Uh, the only words that God gave that aren't important are the ones that aren't in the 66 books of the Bible. And so that's why I love reading the Bible every year. You know, I, I'm, I, I struggle and I forget things and I need the whole counsel of God, as Paul said in Acts chapter 20, uh, to help me. And I would just, again, challenge you brothers. If you, how many of you have read the Bible through in a year before? Okay, not all of us. So let's, the rest of us, and if you're not Jesus yet and not perfected, maybe you would do a Bible reading plan this year. It's not too late. We're only in the fifth day of the year at 365. So I would just encourage you, do the Bible reading plan. It's on the website. Um, uh, it's the five-day plan. I like it because there's five readings out of the week. So you get two days of a mulligan. Um, and it's a great plan. If you want a different one, ask one of the guys, ask one of the elders. There's lots of them out there. I would just challenge you to do that. Um, obviously for yourself and to set the example for others in your life, maybe a wife or someone else that's in your life. Prayer as well. We want to talk about spiritual things. A husband, uh, who, a husband needs to, you know, regularly discourse with his wife about spiritual things. How are you doing? How can I pray for you? How can I help you grow in this? Um, that can be really difficult, especially if your wife is more godly than you which is common, but nevertheless, we're still to take up our role of leading in that. And, and let me say too, just uh, the local church, man, a husband who holds his wife back from, from plugging into a New Testament local church is failing, is not leading, failing to love her. <laughs> Again, because Christ's church is it's so important as a means of grace. You're, you're failing. You're not leading. You're not loving. Uh, if you're doing that. And, and as she, your wife, is a daughter of Christ, Jesus doesn't like that. He doesn't like that. She is hers more than she is ours and yours. And so we need to respect that by leading her to do the things that God commands. Um, so we're to love. Uh, our second rule, uh, masculine husband needs to lead. 
And number two, he's a, he's a lover, but he's also a leader, a leader in the home. And wow, uh, leadership in the home, in, in my brief experience, is the hardest kind of leadership. Um, and I think in part that's why it's also a, a, a qualification and a criteria for eldership. Um, because lots of guys can lead a Fortune 50 company, but at home they're not leading so well. Um, and God would rather have us get an A in the home and a C in the workplace than a C in the home and an A in the workplace. Um, if it came down to that, you know, not that it has to, but um, leading in the home, so difficult. I have galaxies of growth doing this. Number one, what it's not, obviously it's, it's, it's not uh, domineering, dictatorship. Matthew 20, verse 25, Jesus calls the disciples to himself and he says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. This, this like tyrannical, micromanaging, just barking orders, that's lording it over. The great men exercise authority over them. It's not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So obviously, uh, biblical leadership isn't, you know, the stoic, the stoic body that's present and just sort of, barks orders. Um, he graciously considers his wife. He listens to her. He receives her input, um, receives her, her criticism. Um, what godly leadership looks like, just some things you guys could add to this. You could improve on it. Obviously, leading by example, that's the first thing. Leading is, is modeling, First Peter 5.3. Of course, that's from eldership, but he leads by example, not lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples. Um, no husband's going to be perfect, but in general, I mean, we need to set somewhat of a followable example to our wives, um, especially behind closed doors. You know, you can uh, you can kind of let loose a little bit in the privacy of your home, and that's okay to a certain sense where only God sees and she sees. But there is a sense in which what a man is in the home is really what he is and nothing more. Um kind of stealing that quote from what John Owen said about in prayer in private. But really, who a guy is in the home is who he truly is. And um, this is why uh, in, in a New Testament local church, there are visitations. Um, why sometimes, you know, we try to get with you and your spouse about once a year, plus or minus, and just, hey, how can I pray for you? How are things going? Not mourning it over, but coming alongside just to see how things are going. So the way we speak to our wives in, in private the way we speak about other people to our wives, the way that we conduct ourselves, relate to them, our children, if we have them, that, that shows who we are in truth. And that needs to be followable. Um, we lead by working on our own sanctification. This falls under sort of leading by example. A husband who prioritizes growth and humility and godliness is going to be increasingly effective in the home, in all spheres, of course. But you lead working on your godliness so that you're a more effective, helpful, and pleasant husband. Uh, we lead by providing spiritual nourishment. Jesus said to Peter as an elder, which applies to all elders, which any command for an elder is just a command for every guy. There's no, all of the elder qualifications, by the way, are just for every guy. Um, so the husband needs to be a teacher in the home. Uh, he needs to be the resident Bible guy, theologian. He knows where the verses. She can ask him and say, honey, you know, I've been struggling with this. Uh, what do you think? And he, I mean, he can just 
boom, I know, I, I got a verse for that. I, I know where to turn for that. Uh, I, I understand the theology of that. Let's, let's talk about that. Um, to lead his wife in wisdom. The husband is, is the wisdom guy, right? We understand that. He, he's to be the wisdom guy. Wisdom in the ancient East was a masculine thing. The rabbis, the sages, you know, sitting at a rabbi's feet, it's not sitting at a woman's feet. You don't see that in ancient East culture. That's not an insult. It's just different roles. It's not that women weren't wise. They certainly were. It's just how it is, different roles. And so the husband is to be the resident Bible guy, the, to have the wisdom by God's grace for his wife. Um, he provides, he leads by providing physical nourishment, of course, uh, provides materially for the family, a great, again, a great act of love, a great act of leadership for any man to do this, uh, to provide comfort for his wife um, and to provide nourishment there. He leads by working on being a, a godly joy to live with, that he's, he's fun, he's enjoyable. Ecclesiastes 9.9, rejoice in the wife of your youth. The joy there that Solomon commends in this vaporous world and vaporous life. That you need to find ways to not be stoic, but to, to make her laugh, to provide enjoyment for her. He leads by being patient with her shortcomings, taking a long-term view of her growth, 1 Corinthians 13, 4, being patient, 1 Thess 5, 14b, patient with everyone. He's patient. As God is patient with him, he's patient with her. She, she understands that change is not in days and weeks, but months and years and decades. Uh, so he's patient. He leads by providing temporal rest, recreation, rejuvenation. Um, he, he thinks about the rhythms of life and how, you know, usually she struggles under the rhythms of life in different ways than he does. And so in the rhythms of life, he... He schedules things, vacations, outings, whatever gives her rest, uh, a date night, getting away and just doing something with her. He knows and learns her to, to do these things. This is important leadership against Solomon in Ecclesiastes 9.9. Uh, he leads his family into Christ's local body. He leads, this kind of talks about what we already discussed this under love, but he leads his family by immersing in Christ's Local bodies and verses there, First uh, Corinthians twelve fourteen. You know, just because you're the ear doesn't mean you're not important to the hand and to the eye. Uh, Hebrews ten, which you guys know, Hebrews thirteen seventeen, the command of the relationship between church members and elders. And if there's a command of how church Christians are to relate to elders, then lo and behold, you must need to immerse in a church. So leadership involves. Can someone grab uh, brother Jonathan some notes? Might be some there. Thank you. Um, so leadership involves leading those over whom God has given us leadership into the church for which Christ died. Um, a man who doesn't lead his family to immerse in the local church is failing at leadership. Failing. <laughs> well, we're just going to do it, you know, my way, Lone Ranger. It's not how it works. God's people belong to God. Uh, your children or your wife or whatever belongs to God before they belong to you. And so we need to do it God's way. Um, he structures the details of his family's life to embrace God's priority and of involvement in a biblically sound New Testament church. Um, he leads by uh, setting godly goals for his family. Uh, we ask, what will it take to provide physical, spiritual nourishment to lead my home? What will it take to, to grow as a family, to prioritize God's priorities? Um, 
what will set my wife, my children, if I have them, in a God-honoring direction? We ask those big questions, and then we set goals, and we, we talk with our wives like, okay, how can I get there? What do I need to do? What needs to happen to be moving in that direction? And, you know, we make halftime adjustments and call audibles as we need to, obviously, but we set goals. Yeah. Gentlemen, what would, uh, good question, Todd. What would it look like practically to set godly goals for our family? What, what are we talking about? We're going to go to church each Sunday. Yeah. Why? What's the goal of that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the greatest command is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Good. Right? Um, you know, for, for my wife and me, uh, as we have conflict now and then and still struggle and different things, so we need, you know, certain date times. And we carve them out. You know, usually it's Monday and Fridays. We have a date time and the kids just get shelved. You know, because what's most loving for them often is for them to not be paid attention to by mom and dad and mom and dad to work on a relationship together. Um, you know, little things like that, maybe financial goals, maybe, uh, you know, if you're going to read through something together. Um, it's just going to be particular to each to each couple to set those goals and work on them together and to adjust. And are any other examples you guys have? Yeah, that's a good one. Amen. You know, reading through the Bible together. Family devotions. Family devotions. Yeah, what's the goal there? Yeah. Yeah, Implement, implementing these, you know, uh, Rick, I think it was dear Mrs. Colson that gave me that jar once where there's like walnuts in the jar and then rice all around. It's a really helpful word picture of put the big things in first in the jar. Big priorities, family devotions, local church, you know, date night, refreshment, recreation with the wife, and other stuff can fit around it, you know. Uh, good word picture there. Yeah, and all of these gentlemen, look, we all struggle on these things. My wife and I have had to go to marriage counseling before. Biblically done marriage counseling is so helpful. If you need help in any of these, come see us. Uh, we live life together in community. We need help in different things in different seasons. Don't be too proud to think, well, I'm not going to ask and not, I, don't, I don't need to. We'll just figure it out in isolation. That's pride. And it's stepping on your oxygen hose from heaven that would otherwise breathe more life into your marriage and, and into your life together. We all need strength, okay? Um, he leads by protecting his family from sin uh, and promoting holiness. The husband needs to ask, what things should I prioritize in the home in order to eliminate temptation for my family? What things should I include and exclude to promote holiness? Um, this is, this can be a hard one. I've struggled with this in different ways over the years. He needs to shepherd his wife and family. Um, and even in things in whom she should hang out with and keep company with and who she should not. Oh man, there, that's women are good at influencing each other and, and their husbands in bad ways and in good ways, but in bad ways too, who she should and should not keep company with. Encouraging her to fellowship with strong, godly women who have good theology and being aware of the not so much. He might need to set boundaries with things like social media in order to minimize dissipation and temptation. And he gently does this, all of this. 
He leads by helping her embrace biblical femininity. Uh, Titus 2, 3 to 5 says, quote, older women likewise are to be reverent. This is, this is usually referring to women with children outside of the home or who are just more seasoned in life, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good so that they may encourage the young women to, and this, this is typically the younger women is those who have children in the home still, the young women to love their husbands, love their children, be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Which, by the way, it shows that those roles are a witness there so that the word of God will be dishonored. So generally, a wife is somewhere in one of two categories. You see there's two categories, older and younger. Obviously, there's a little in between, but uh, the husband's leadership looks like helping her embrace God's command, God's commands that are specific to each of those roles. That's leadership. Um, he leads by not leading out of fear or intimidation of his wife. Um, that's part of leadership. Not being scared of my wife. Not being fearful of her. This can be a big one. Um, I've struggled with this at times over the years. And you usually can't be fearful of someone and loving them at the same time. Um, leading by helping her understand if she's regenerate. He leads by helping her understand if she's saved. This is critical. Nothing is more important than a person's soul, though we can't produce, we can't produce salvation. No formula for that. Faithful leadership, nevertheless, is concerned with whether or not a person in your sphere of leadership is regenerate. Nothing more important than that. A husband should concern himself with his wife's spiritual state big time. This does not mean, brothers, incessantly questioning her salvation and threatening her that she's not saved. But it does mean, insofar as, you know, we can tell without being omniscient, that we look for fruit and we gently shepherd her. If you're concerned about whether or not she is regenerate, I mean, start praying about that and deal with it and get some brothers to come alongside to help with that. Nothing's more important. Where needed, he leads by providing biblical correction to his wife's errors and sins in belief, doctrine, speech, and conduct. Um, there's just commands to do this everywhere. So how much more in the home? Better is open rebuke, Proverbs 27, than love that is concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. If your brother sins, go and show him in his fault in private. Notice it doesn't say go and gossip about it, but never talk to him. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. We don't go and gossip about our about our wives, we deal with it gently and privately. In Galatians 6, 1-2, let's memorize this for next week. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any, any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of, spirit of gentleness. Right? Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Notice the bearing of burden there. That's a, that's a Christianese phrase. Let me bear your burden, brother. That's used in the context of coming alongside someone to help them repent of sin. So every position of leadership, including leading one's wife, it requires loving and gracious reproof and correction, correction of those you lead at times. Getting the log out of her own eye as husbands will need to correct her if she believes unsound doctrine, uh, if she's gossiping about people um, in the church, for example, in the home that a husband, a godly husband will tolerate that. Um, if she's in just some pattern that's disrupting her walk with the Lord, we, we, we gently help her with that. 
whether an employer, manager, coach, pastor, husband, the man who does not reprove and correct the errors of those in his sphere of leadership is failing. He's failing as a leader to love and to lead God's way. Um, and this is, this is a hard part of leadership, but it's an, it's a mandatory part of leadership. Um, when necessary, this will involve standing up to his wife, standing up to her in a gentle, self-controlled way, never using physical force, obviously, but neither caving in to sin, not, not joining her in sin. Um, and as it's been rightly said, if a man will not stand up to his wife, he will probably not stand up for her. So uh, this is a tricky part of marriage is you got to learn to stand up to your wife um, in a godly, in a gentle, but in an uncompromising way. And we'll talk more about that um, in next week, Lord willing. Um, he, he, has to, he has to be a man in the home. He helps solve problems. He leads by helping solve problems. This is part of leadership. Honey, how can I help you with that? And sometimes helping is just listening. <laughs> you know, I've learned in my short 21 years, a lot of times helping is just listening <laughs> and praying with her. You know, She doesn't always need the, need the answer right there. Um, he leads sexually. Uh, he leads and communicates with his wife in a godly manner to ensure that the marriage is embracing God's desire for reg regular and frequent sexual intimacy as husband and wife which is commanded in Proverbs 5, 18 and 19, 1 Corinthians 7, 3 to 5. This will also require that a husband take up his role as a learner, living with her in an understanding way. What helps her, what doesn't? Um, if they have children, he leads. Let me actually, before I go to that one, so this, this, is, this is an important one. And just in my short 15 years of ministry with counseling, this is a frequent area that needs counseling. Don't be afraid. Uh, to seek to seek counseling or have someone come alongside your marriage in this area. The scriptures are very clear. Uh, sexual intimacy is to be regular and frequent in a, in a godly marriage. Um, and this can take communication, um, um, discussing things very gently, sometimes counseling. Um, and the husband has to learn how to lead in this. It's, it, it can be not always, but it can be difficult. It can be difficult. And require prayer. This is a this is a stay against as First Corinthians seven talks about Satan's temptation, but it's also to the the one flesh part of marriage and to and just to keep things united, loving, uh, intimate, and in that relationship that we have that unique relationship that's to model Christ's relationship with the church, a level of uh, connection that's no that's unique to that relationship and is present in no other relationship. He leads sexually. Uh, if they have children, he leads by discussing with the wife how we'll embrace God's command to nourish and discipline the children. Um, the commands from Proverbs 13 and 23. Um, he who spares the rod hates his child. But he who loves him disciplines, his dil disciplines him diligently. When the children are younger, we're not allowed to hate our children. Um, and as they get older, shepherding and nourishment discipline looks different. Discussing that with our wives. Um, he leads by orchestrating their family calendar and schedule together. Um, in other words, what's coming up this week, this month, this year, honey, how can we, how can I serve you in that? What's helpful? What's been helpful? What hasn't, um, again, helping just to lead in the, uh, putting together the, the, the ordinary rhythms of life in a way that's helpful for her. And I, and I've struggled and I've sinned in this and I haven't led well in this. I've had to grow a lot in this area in many of these areas, if not all of them. So, 
again, we need the grace of God and all this more could be said. Um, and the good news is when we struggle with these things and when we fail, uh, the, the cross happened. Uh, the blood of Christ is sufficient to wash us of sin and to uh, recalibrate us and strengthen us for further obedience as we depend on him greatly. Um, we've got a couple more minutes left. So he's, he's, he's a lover, he's a leader, and he's a learner. A masculine husband must learn about his wife. Where do you get that? First Peter 3, 7. First Peter 3, 7. You husbands in the same way live with your wives. So there are six verses right before this context about how a wife is to win, his, win her husband over without a word and to submit like Sarah did to Abraham. Whew. That's uh, big time when you read Genesis 12, Genesis uh, 20, some of these things, what happened to her, ouch. But in the same way, husbands live their wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, and it, what that word means weaker, it's what it is. Uh, she's a woman, and show her honor. That, that doesn't mean dishonor her, but honor her as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Ouch, whoa. When we fail to do that, there can be a hindrance to our prayers. When we are not living in holiness before our wives, that can clip the phone line to heaven. Uh, that can, you know, cause a delay in delivery of the package. Uh, so holiness. You don't need to join her in sin or compromise the Lord's commands, gentlemen, to be effective and a godly husband. Quite the opposite. Which may at times mean making her mad. That can happen. Our wives being mad that's not always a bad thing. A lot of times it is. You know, we've sinned against them or whatever. But it's not always a bad thing. It could be because you're leading in a masculine way and saying, you know, we need to do it this way. We need to not do this anymore because it's not honoring to the Lord. It's not helping us grow. And you just, you know, that might cause a little bit of bumpiness in the marriage. That, you know. If we recall, as we follow around our Lord in a short three years, there was bumpiness that surrounded him at times as he was a fairly godly guy, right? The phrase, live with your wives in an understanding way, has the idea of dwell with your wives according to knowledge. Accumulating knowledge. Knowledge that is not innate or just downloaded. Learning. Knowledge means you have to accumulate you have to observe and, ah, receive instruction. So we're to learn about our wives that God has given us. That's God's will for us. What's God's will for my life? To love, to lead, to learn, to become an insert your wife's name, oh, herologist. For me, a Leslieologist. For Brother Phil, a Megologist. For Brother Sam, a Sarahologist. Whatever it might be. All right? For Mr. Stowe, uh, Mrs. Stowe-ologist going on 65 years or whatever it was. That's a couple PhDs there, I would say, brother. But, uh, so taking an interest in her, this is what this means. Spending time with her, patience, asking questions. Like, what are, what are your joys? She changes. I, I ask questions of my wife, you know, 21 years of marriage, and she'll say things and be like, whoa, I didn't know that. You know, you would think after 20, 20 years, 21 years, you would know. Just, uh, what are your current burdens, honey? How can I help you with those burdens? What are her fears? 
What sins is she struggling with? How can I help her grow? What are some things I do that are not helpful for her and that are helpful for, for her? Ask her these questions. Our wives want to be taken an interest in. And lo and behold, God wants that too. Right? You ask, you know, when you're hanging out with the brothers, it's like one or two questions with one or two words. You know, like stuntman conversation. What do you get when you put three stuntmen together? Almost a sentence. And uh, that's how it is with us. And we love each other. And it's great. We don't need a lot of words. What Women are different. They need words. It's amazing. And they, they need listening to. So it's a fascinating Utterly peculiar and difficult phenomenon at times. It needs great prayer. Concerning physical intimacy, we ask her what, what serves her, what doesn't. Other things in life, what refreshes her? How can I be praying for you in this season of life? How can I orchestrate? How might I orchestrate a date night to bless you? And on and on, and you can think of more. And we're out of time. May God give us great grace in this difficult but gloriously blessed endeavor of being a husband, a leader, a lover, and a learner. Father in heaven, and we confess, uh, those of us who are married and even those of us who are not yet or have been, Lord, we, we just need your grace in all areas of life, and relationships and marriage included. We need extra grace to be holy men, but to be men who are not compromising on biblical righteousness and truth. Help us in that, Lord. Show us, Holy Spirit, the ways that we might need to make adjustments in our relationships, in our marriages in this season. Give us strength to do so. Thank you for the blood of Christ that is utterly sufficient. Where grace, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Help us, Lord, to be the kind of men we need to be in the home and in our relationships. We need grace. Father, I need great grace. Help us. Help the elders of this church to grow in our marriages, Father, in all of us. Give these brothers extra grace, not only in their families and their relationships, but all they're doing this week until we gather Sunday to worship you corporately. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, brothers. Good to see you all. I'm praying for you all regularly. Praying for you. Pray for our congressmen and women right now, too, and our government. Take care, guys. Good to see you all.